0: Chrissy, you recently dog sat our mutual friend Christopher Frank's dog Juno. Tell us about that. You mean Chaos in a Fur Coat?
1: <laughs> Do you mean that that one? Yes. Oh my god. So you went, oh the front you mean the forensics file story? Um is that the one you're looking for? Whatever, Wait, did, you say,
2: whatever? did you say chaos in a fur coat?
1: So so he has a three year old Australian shepherd. Her name is Juno. And she is named for the Greek goddess of marriage. We make plenty of jokes about about Juno, who's is the Roman equivalent to the Greek goddess Hera. And if anyone knows anything about Greek mythology, you know exactly what Hera is like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually watched her while he was in New York in New York City for New York Comic Con, and she has a tendency to get zoomies that James can attest to. Her zoomies. Oh, yeah. Last night, she got, she got locked out of uh, the game session. <laughs> she was just being chaos. Absolute freaking chaos. One of the things, though, is she likes to run around the house at top speed. And she's a puppy. Oh. so
2: Puppy um, power.
1: Oh, very much puppy power. And she's a cutie. One of the other things, though, she likes to do, too, when I was watching her, was we would sit and watch Forensics Files. And in the middle of it, uh, she, would get, she would get her zoomies, and then, but she would stop. Every time they would show the suspect on Forensics File, she would stop and she would just start staring at the TV set with a low growl.
2: <laughs>
1: and then as soon as they took the suspect off, she would just go back to the zoomies. Oh. And then when they put him back on, she'd stop and just start, she'd go right up close to the TV set and start growling at it. And then like low growl and then go right back to it much cuter than our uh, subject of today's story.
0: And yet, hope- based on your description, there may be more truth in television to scrappy doos behavior than anybody dared thought. I just I just hope that you I just hope that uh, Juno didn't make anything go splat.
1: Um, other than her trying to trip everybody over while she's having zoomies. <laughs> Because let me tell you, when puppies have Zoomies, they do not give a crap who's in their way or what's in their way. They will Zoom. And if that means they will trip you, they do not give two craps. <laughs> they will take you out. There are too many cartoons,
0: but they'll watch, watch them all. all. The Penny and James to a sort of hopefully funny, funny cartoon
1: podcast. podcast.
0: Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish. I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. I'm Chrissy Harding. Welcome to the Pemmy and James kind of, sort of, hopefully funny cartoon podcast featuring Chrissy. Hi! Ta-da. Yay! And today we're ripping off the band aid. Yeah, just rip it right off. Just, just do it.
2: I think some skin went off with this.
1: Uh we are starting. We, we are. We are now going to talk about annoying sidekicks.
0: Or one specific one. As longtime listeners know, every year we do one Scooby episode around this time of the year. Late October, early November, etc. And this was going to be inevitable. So, even though Pemi gave me the choice of doing either this or Be Cool Scooby-Doo, and I was like, okay, I'm going to make this a coin flip. So, even though he introduced the the idea into the world, I could have stopped it anytime I wanted to. So, this is equal blame.
1: Honestly, I can't blame you because i say let's get this over with now and just 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 talk about the elf in the room because if, if if you guys just keep putting it off people are going to be like are you ever going to talk about it and it's just going to become a thing it's going to be like that annoying family member at christmas that everyone knows is coming and nobody wants there
2: so you know exactly like scrappy do
0: yeah pretty much so yes scrappy do uh scrappy Before we begin, much of this podcast's information comes straight from the mouth of Mark Evanier himself via his own blog. Go check it out. It's a good read. Thanks, Mark. (laughs) The roots of our story go back several decades before Saturday morning cartoons were even a thing. To Henry Hawk, a Chuck Jones creation in the Looney Tunes canon that would later be adopted by Robert McKimson for a foil to his own character, Foghorn Leghorn.
1: I don't blame Chuck Jones for much, but I'll blame him for this one.
0: I don't know, McKimson might be more to
2: blame, but still.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Henry is a diminutive adolescent chicken hawk, and not in the sense that he's a warmonger who won't actually lead from the front. I mean the actual bird. He's also fearless, ill-tempered, tremendously stubborn, and unaware of the disadvantages of his size relative to the world around him. He's Napoleon. Henry may not be the most loved looney tune but in small doses i think he was pretty good opposite foghorn's bluster in these short 7-minute stories i i would
1: say he he was well paired up with foghorn Lakehorn, because when he was with foghorn you kind of you kind of started cheering for henry
2: also henry's really strong despite his short size
1: he was well balanced for his for his temperament like he he was a well balanced character like you didn't get annoyed with Henry as much as you did with Scrappy.
2: <laughs> hey, and he's also brown.
0: Hmm. The Henry Hawk character might have been on the mind of Joe Barbera when he was trying to save Scooby-Doo, Hanna-Barbera's biggest franchise for years, from cancellation in late 1978. You see, Fred Silverman was out at ABC, leaving to become CEO of NBC that year. And he was the show's biggest booster since he had such a hand in its creation for CBS. And at the same time, as we've stated before on the podcast, the bloom was falling off the rose at this point. So many meddling kids and their sidekick stories had been done on TV that coming up with original ideas was getting rough, even within the Scooby franchise itself. Rough.
2: Was that a pun, sir? But um,
0: um, not intentional.
1: Hey, it's fine.
0: <laughs> so, Joe went to Mark Evanier, who was writing Hanna-Barbera's comics, but wasn't part of their writing staff for the shows themselves. Once most of said writers had taken a shot at this suspiciously similar to Henry Hawk character, that Joe claims he came up with, according to Mark, as an added element to freshen up the formula.
2: If I remember right, uh, the whole reason Joe Barbera created the character was because the new person in charge of children's television at uh, at uh, ABC was a big Looney Tunes fan.
0: Naturally. That
1: would make sense, though, if you look at how the format of some of the uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoons would start taking, then, with going more for the comedic, straight-up comedic versus what they were
0: before, then. And we'll get there in this episode. Mm-hmm. But this was also in the face of a competing pilot for that time slot from Scooby Doo's principal creators, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, who at that point had formed their own animation company, Ruby Spears. What that pilot was is lost to time, sadly.
1: Wah, wah.
0: But that character, of course, was Scrappy Doo. I promise we're only doing that sound effect gag once, because if we did that every time we mentioned his name, we'd be here for three hours. Well, what you should do is play the, the, uh,
2: the stock castle thunder sound.
1: Yes. That's more appropriate. Both in no. both, both, both for the character and exactly in the theme we're talking about. <laughs> we no, are
0: reserved for uh, he, who we will not name. Oh,
2: Ooh. though uh i do have a question yeah actually
0: i'm gonna wait on this question so never mind let's keep going so scrappy was conceived as scooby's nephew a pint-sized great dane puppy who was actually kind of cute oh and of course he was scoob's nephew you can't age a character by giving him kids you'll disrupt the status quo
1: then you would also have to explain where is his mother
2: also i don't know if i want to even think about the idea of Scooby having kids, to be honest.
1: (laughs) I don't want to think of, also the idea of Scooby having a girlfriend. Because then you would have to have a girlfriend for um, Shaggy.
0: Ruh-roh. And like Henry Hawk, Scrappy was completely fearless in the face of whatever danger was in front of him. The thing of it is, taking that kind of character from a short subject cartoon to a longer form mystery story requires a very very deft touch and not every writer in the world of saturday morning cartoons has that touch 100 percent of the time even on their best days
1: yeah and the thing is is the idea of what they wanted to do with scrappy this is a hard character to write they were kind of doomed from the start. Start with what because they already had the idea of doing it off based off of Henry Hawk, which they boxed themselves into a corner from the start.
2: The scary thing
0: is, it actually worked, but I'll let James get to that. This new oh. element is what kept Scooby Doo on ABC for the fall of 1979 season. So, Scrappy Doo very much saved his uncle. You could argue that without Scrappy, the Scooby-Doo franchise might not be the most prominent thing to come from Hanna-Barbera to this day. Certainly the staff at Hanna-Barbera thought so. Story editor Dwayne Poole recalls the period as being pretty lively. But at what cost? Yes, at what cost? (sighs) To properly discuss that, we have to start at that 1979 season of Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. At this point, much of our cast from past Scooby episodes remains in place. Don Messick is our beloved, cowardly Great Dane. Casey Kasem is the equally cowardly, hippie archetype Shaggy Rogers. Loinks! <laughs> Evan North as the fashionable, sensible, but not quite yet as defined as she would be elsewhere Daphne Blake. And Frank Welker is the square-jawed leader of the team, Fred Jones. Pat Stevens had inherited the role of Velma Dinkley after the original actress, Nicole Jaffe, retired from acting. And Pat would be present for the first 12 episodes, with Marla Frumpkin taking over for the final four when Pat fell ill. Hmm. And I just want to say, I'm glad we didn't pick one of the Marla
2: Frumpkin episodes, because she's bad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jinkies! of explosives okay my question here is how much of that is really marla's fault and how much of that is the script she was given
0: or the direction
2: hannah Barbera typically has good voice direction especially compared to like filmation so i think it's just the actress
1: that's why i'm putting it out there like how much of it is them versus how much of it is the script it's a a fair
2: question it is a fair question but yeah, all of her all of her lines are delivered in like such a dead delivery. It's so bad and so I'm, awkward. So, so, but, the,
1: so this this is my follow up. Then is would that is her voice acting? Then at that point, the reason why maybe they got rid of Velma we'll get from there. The show? Okay, I'm jumping ahead.
0: That's okay. Because,
1: it's like I'm psychic or something.
0: <laughs> But Scrappy, well, finding the right voice for him would take a while. Mel Blank, who at the time was doing Captain Caveman for Hanna-Barbera. Nobody else. I'm still <laughs> shocked that's still our most downloaded episode.
1: How many downloads do we have for that episode?
0: Over 200. Shh, damn. Over 200! Sorry.
1: Listen, I'm just in shock that the D&D episode's at 100.
0: It's pretty good for a podcast with no advertising budget.
1: And no sponsors. <laughs> Captain Caveman!
0: I'll let you do it. Yeah. I, I gotta save my voice for the rest of this.
1: By the way, if you wish to sponsor us, we are more than willing to take your money.
0: <laughs> hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, say no more, yeah. say no more. <laughs> so Mel was considered for the part because he was Henry Hawk for so many years but Mel wanted too much money. The dude deserves the money! Well, yeah, but, well, we'll get there. Also, Frank Welker and Don Messick also auditioned, and Frank Welker, when he auditioned, coined the Puppy Power catchphrase that Scrappy would become known for, but neither were deemed quite right for the part at that time. Eventually, after considering performers ranging from Dawes Butler to Paul Winchell To Marshall Efron, the part went to Lenny Weinrib.
1: I have a question, and this is completely off topic. Is Marshall Efron, to try to pull in our younger audience, related to Zac Efron?
2: I don't know. Neither do I. I only know Marshall Efron for like three roles. He's the villain on Twice Upon a Time. He played uh, Mooch on The Biscuits. And he's Fat Cat on Kid Video. (laughs) So, and knowing what his voice was, the voice he typically uses in cartoons is, that would have been a weird choice yeah. for Scrappy. I'm going to show that one up. I, I, I just think it's kind of crappy that they're like, that that Frank Welker coined the phrase in his like audition, the puppy power phrase, and they're like, oh, that's a great line, Frank. That's a great line. You don't get the job, but that's a great line. We're
0: keeping it.
1: Oh, he's not. No relation uh, whatsoever.
0: All right. Now, we've looked at shows that Lenny Weinrib has contributed voices to in the past, but I think this is our first time encountering him with a reoccurring role. So let's dig a little deeper. Lenny was a veteran performer of live action TV and voice work at this point, especially known for his prolific work for Sid and Marty Croft as the voice of HR Puffin Stuff and several other characters from the same series, notably Orson and Stupid Bat. He
1: was HR Puffin Stuff?
0: Yeah. Yep. He's your friend when things get rough. Can't do a little, because he can't do enough.
1: Do enough. Okay, my mind's slightly blown that Scrappy-Doo's voice in the early episodes is H.R. Puffin
0: stuff. And there's more. For Hanna-Barbera, he was the lead character in Inch-High Private Eye and Knock-Knock the Woodpecker in The Skatebirds.
1: I can see him as as Inch-High Private Eye, though.
0: As (laughs) well as taking up the role of Gomez-Adams, In the first *Adam's Family animated series Hanna-Barbera would produce, when John Astin didn't reprise the role. Which, uh, I'm just gonna
2: say, uh, yeah, his Gomez voice isn't great. That's all I'm gonna say.
1: I'm sorry, but, uh, Gomez-Astin to me is either John Astin or Raul Julia.
0: I 100% agree. Scrappy-Doo is arguably Lenny's most well-known animated character, and he only performed him for a single year. Hmm. Wow. Another thing we will get to why in a bit, but let's dive in with an episode that is as late seventies as you can get: the neon phantom of the roller disco. Stayin'
1: alive, stayin' alive. in ah, ah, ah. sorry. They no. Don't music be sorry. Got- that's <laughs>
2: come up too. Yeah, they play they play music in the background on this that sounds like a bootleg version of that song.
0: Yep. We open. At sparkles, no doubt the role of disco in question, as its sign goes dark in the autumn air, and the neon phantom emerges with laser sounds and a vocoder-assisted howl. And voiced by Michael Bell. Michael Bell! Oh, we haven't seen him in a while. Yep, he was uh, Mark on
2: Speed Buggy, as well as uh, Lance on Voltron, All-Star on the Snorks, uh, Sideswipe and Prowl on Transformers, Quackerjack on uh, Darkwing Duck,
0: and sucks on the houndcats. I was just about to get that one.
1: Can I? Can I stay? I want to find out when did Tron come out?
0: Because <laughs> he looks after like this he's... surprisingly. Because yeah,
2: the neon. Really? Yeah, the neon phantom looks like something out of Tron. I was thinking the same thing <laughs> when I was rewatching this.
1: I, that's what I was thinking. I'm watching. I'm like, okay, someone has a lawsuit, and I don't know who. <laughs> like someone has a lawsuit here. Anna Barbara should sure have, who. Anna
2: Barbara should have sued uh, Disney from
1: seriously like someone has a lawsuit i'm not sure which one of you do but someone has a lawsuit here for copyright infringement
0: now admittedly this is a decent timely monster design for the era and we're in familiar territory storytelling wise by opening with the monster as a hook to keep the kids at home interested Mm -hmm. so this is all taking place in hollywood with the gang just getting into town for the premiere of Hair Grease Fever at Grauman's Chinese Theater. The natural landmarks Scooby and crew would be checking out in general, because, you know, of course. And also, of course, the year prior, Grease was the smash hit movie capitalizing on the star power of John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, plus the general 50s nostalgia of the period, and the song made especially for the movie, You're the One That I Want, was a platinum single with over 2 million sold in the U.S. alone the year it was released. In short, Grease was indeed the word amidst the cultural zeitgeist that would hold considerable sway with my high school class of 98 for reasons I couldn't quite wrap my own head around for the first few months of enduring it. They even made a Grease video game in, like, I think the 2000s or 2010s. Listen, Grease
1: was one of those musicals that every every school wanted to do every kid wanted to be in it they even did a freaking reality tv show where they were casting for the sandy when they brought it back to broadway
0: and uh travolta's character too
1: yeah now my school wanted to put it on and we kept getting vetoed by um our chorus teacher who also did the musicals miss niche she refused to do it because there was the pregnancy scare in it and she felt that that promoted the wrong idea among us impressionable young girls because she felt it would encourage us to get pregnant
0: that was also the reason why my high school would only do scenes from greece and not the whole thing
1: at which point this is and by the way just so everyone knows this was like 19 late 1990s this wasn't like back in the 80s this was the late 90s and early to almost early 2000s and that was her thought process on that and at which point majority of us in our class was like um they teach sex education we're not suddenly because of a musical to go out and try to pregnancy trap our boyfriends it ain't happening
0: admittedly i think the real reason might have been we don't want to scandalize parents and deal with complaints from them
1: this was where I looked at it when, we, when, she, when that was actually what we thought, too. And I'm like, um, these are the parents who are renting the movie and showed us the movie. I don't think that's an issue. <laughs>
0: well, you, you and I might not think it, but your teacher might have. And it sounds like she had a bit of a stubborn streak.
1: Well, considering she had seven kids.
0: Well, we're getting far off track. Yeah, fair enough. Just, yeah, I was
2: just I'm just listening to this and I just think it's weird because like when I I was in drama for high school, we actually did a we actually did a play. I don't remember what it was called, but it was about drugs and one of the characters being a prostitute. So <laughs> it's like, God, I didn't expect Oklahoma to be so more
0: liberal <laughs> on this. <laughs> so anyhow, Scrappy's puppy brained directions lead them instead to the Hollywood Bowl where a band called Nightmare is playing. Shaggy protests he has enough Nightmares of his own. Boy, can I relate. (laughs) But the group catches part of the show. Scrappy digs it and boogies down while Scooby and Shaggy shiver, and Velma has to remind them that Nightmare is a rock group. Presumably a pastiche of Kiss, but we never get even a quasi-decent look at them. So just as Scrappy tries to get his uncle into the music, it shorts out and the gang spots the neon phantom cackling atop the bowl. He boasts nothing can stop him, and then vanishes. Scrappy assumes the coward, Scooby, was looking under the bench for the phantom.
1: I kind of enjoy this part, when this kind of characterization of Scrappy, who puts his uncle on the pedestal a little bit. Because this is what every kid is like. That is a cute idea. It is a cute idea, because this is, I mean, really, if you think about it, this is kind of what, nieces and nieces and nephews kind of do with their aunts and uncles and their parents
0: like i did with my uncle mike
1: yeah like hi uncle mike hi uncle mike
0: hi uncle mike
1: he's one of our most beloved listeners this is what all kids do with the adults in their lives that they adore is they put them on a pedestal like all kids relate to this it's like, we all do this. And even, even in our adulthood, we do it with some, of our, with some of our older family members. So I thought this was cute. And I was like, I like this one. I like kind of this iteration of Scrappy.
0: So we crossfade to the Mystery Machine, where, of course, the Scooby gang decides to take up the mystery, headed straight to Sparkles. The Phantom is conveniently right outside. And as they pull up, Scrappy launches into his, uh, iconic? Um, how about well-known? Well-known routine. While carrying Scooby with him, Shaggy says he's coming for his buddy, but just runs in place hoping someone will talk him out of it.
1: Yeah, ain't gonna happen.
2: (laughs) I I, I thought that was actually probably the funniest gag in this entire episode with Shaggy running in place. It's like, what are you doing, Shaggy? And it's like, I'm waiting for somebody to talk me out of it. And Fred just pushes him and it causes him to run towards it. (laughs)
0: Okay. I thought that was great.
2: I was like, that, that That was actually a pretty good gag.
0: We get some classic mistaken identity stuff involving hiding in garbage cans, complete with Scrappy not realizing his own mistake after pounding the crap out of Shaggy. And the I'm just a puppy.
2: <laughs> he says that line a lot in this first season.
1: Well, he is just a puppy. He doesn't know any better. <laughs> Like,
2: Scrappy, I need a new rib.
1: <laughs> I must say they must have really good health insurance.
0: <laughs> Scrappy, around with Sparkles all locked up, the gang looks for an entrance, and Scrappy sets off a burglar alarm with his tugging at the back door. This rousts awake one Mister Bill Walker, who watches the place overnight since he lives next door. Scooby finds a paper under Walker's shoe as he advises the kids to steer clear. Huh. Yeah. Shoe. Walker.
1: Fan ant, man.
2: Mr. Walker is also voiced by Michael Bell. Michael Bell actually voices quite a few people in this episode,
0: I've noticed.
1: Well, with Mr. Walker, Shoe, and Bell, you know, he's got some soul going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you fit right in.
1: I've, I learned quite quickly.
0: So this paper sticks to everything it touches, and it's an ad for Sparkles. Somehow Scrappy gets the door open, and here comes the splitting up, which by now is so familiar, Shaggy hangs a lampshade on this part of the formula.
1: Yep. Yep. You know, if you can't pick on the formula, what are you doing?
2: Somebody always does.
0: At the main disco room, Shaggy and Scooby try not to encounter anything, but they find the giant Gila monster? Nope. Nope. It's a projection on a movie screen which Scrappy bounces off of and Velma has to point out to the bumbling trio. The lights drop and an echoing voice cries, Who are you? Scrappy races to the DJ booth and only gets Joey Cassette, one of the owners. Joey Cassette. Cassette.
1: That's better than Joey CD.
2: Also voiced by Michael Bell.
1: So are they paying Michael Bell overtime for this?
2: Probably not. Because this is before they had the voice actor strike.
0: Mm. So Joey claims to have been working on a new light show since the rink closed early. And now we have Scrappy forcing Scooby into roller skating hijinks. This is about to send Scoob careening into a shadowy figure going into the commercial break. But it's simply Steve Shimmer, Joey's partner.
1: Ah, Shimmer and Sparkle.
2: Voiced by uh, Frank Wilker.
0: Together, the owners exposit that they had expansion plans, but the Phantom drove away business. Scooby's skate silliness culminates in him landing on a record turntable. Wiki wiki.
2: I'm very amused by the fact that this disco is called Sparkles because I used to have a cat named Sparkles, who was a big, black, masculine male cat who was named Sparkles. (laughs) It was always funny bringing him into the vet because of that.
0: It's Sparkles! Shimmer wants to get, just give up the business altogether, but Cassette will buy his partner's share out before he lets that happen. Boy, without the context, that's a weird sentence.
1: Shimmer and Cassette. I feel like we're in a Gem, Gem the Holograms uh, episode instead.
0: Man, I keep forgetting to put that on the schedule. I've been promising Ann that episode.
2: It's truly, truly
0: outrageous. Anyhow... The in-house band is recording new material, and the less comedic characters go with Joey Cassette for that, while Shaggy and the Dogs return to the planned movie premiere.
2: Which, by the way, isn't that kind of weird? It's like, hey, you kids broke into our place, but hey, you want to watch the band?
1: What are they going (laughs) to do?
2: Call the police, maybe. (laughs) I mean, I don't want the Scooby gang in jail, but I mean, they literally did break into the place.
0: The phantom watches them leave. Now wait just a minute! Here it comes. Right there, in the roller rink, in plain view of darn near everyone, audibly glowing. How does nobody notice him?
1: I think this might be the first time you've actually invoked a wait just a minute moment in a Scooby-Doo cartoon.
0: Yes, yes it is.
1: I also would like to say that this Phantom probably has a really, really high stealth proficiency <laughs> bonus <laughs> that nobody noticed him.
2: Well, that and with how much neon just goes around in the late 70s, early 80s, they probably just thought it was the best something else. I'm,
1: I'm gonna be honest, if you not noticed how much neon there is in a roller disco, did you forget what USS Skate looked like in back then? back in the 80s there was more neon than anything back then i've seen the pictures i remember
0: anyhow at a recording studio elsewhere in town the band is wrapping up a take on a song and the band's leader says they need more tapes which joey goes to fetch
2: the band leader is also voiced by michael bell
1: hold up i have a wait just a minute moment didn't you just say in the last thing it's an in-house band in a recording studio, like in-house at the rink, and now we're in another part of town? I'm
0: confused. Well, it's a it's a fair point. If I have to extrapolate, I think the the band take is it. on contract to the d- roller disco, and they're just recording the tracks for when they can't be live. Okay. It's it's a guess. Okay, I'll take it. So the audio engineer calls for another take, and we actually get to see this band. Now, presumably the horns are being done via synthesizer by the brunette at the keys, since we don't see a horn section. Or Are the horns being dubbed in? Again, I'm pedantic, but not so pedantic to be unreasonable.
1: I remember having a keyboard back in the 80s. I don't remember the horn section sounding that good on the keyboard.
2: Maybe they're just horny.
0: (laughs) As the gang observes how long it takes to get a song perfect, which is accurate, Mm -hmm. we transition to the theater, where Shag and Scoob can't see Squat. But Scrappy can. Welcome, welcome. Hey, I could see their legs. Huh? Who's legs? legs? Boy, oh boy, there goes Jagger's legs. And there goes Travolta's legs. And there's Tristan's ankle.
2: I mean, I guess when you're that short, you get good at identifying legs?
0: I have to say it. This is a genuinely well-considered bit of comedy that makes good use of Scrappy's short stature. This is proof to me that there was still a little gas in the tank, and maybe something could have been made of adding Scrappy to the show's overall format without the rushed schedule of television production looming over them.
1: Scrappy had a lot of potential. He really, really did.
0: Back at the recording session, the Neon Phantom interrupts the Sparkle's session and drained all the energy from the building. After launching a rapier-like insignia from the building's top, the Phantom boasts that they'll never catch him and vanishes. Hold my beer. The gang tries to figure out where he'd strike next, somewhere with lots of electric lights and an audience. The movie premiere, of course
2: like zoinks we just can't get away from him
0: right there shaggy is counting on scrappy to tell them what the movie star's legs look like when the fandom hits that scene too
1: you know someone's got to chew the background on this one i swear he's a scene stealer
0: scrappy makes a bolt for the back of the theater to head off the monster's escape taking the chicken-hearted chuckleheads with him and as it turns out scrappy is correct on all counts Except they're all facing the wrong way and the Phantom gets the drop on them.
1: No. You know, he just got to take that limelight, doesn't he?
0: The trio escape against Scrappy's own judgment and run into the others. Getting access to the electrical control panel in the theater, they find an electrical timer of the same make that Sparkles uses. And back at the roller disco, they find an ad from an electrical supply house on Steve Shimmer's desk. And they examine it with a caricature of disco singing star Donna Summer right underneath it.
2: Wow, I had no idea who that was.
0: There were a few African American divas with similar hair to that in that era, but Donna's the most famous, so it's probably her. She she
1: was she was in a lot of roller disco singing back then, so give it give it to Donna Summers. We're gonna give it to her.
0: They also spot some writing on the back and Velma has it all figured out and calls for the trap to be set. Oh, Fred's happy. A grand reopening is staged in every sense of the word, and the comedic trio only managed to wrap Scooby up in the reopening sign before getting it right. I'm more amazed at
2: Scrappy being able to hang that entire thing up by himself. That's...
0: Puppy zoomies! Yeah. Do not
1: underestimate the power of a puppy zoomie. (laughs)
0: And, just as Chrissy alluded to, a pastiche of the Bee Gees' inescapable song, Stayin' Alive, plays as the gang waits for the Phantom to arrive, with Joey Cassette in the DJ booth. And hey, Scooby's skating has at least improved somewhat, as he skates into some tar that Velma spots, just as the Phantom promises a grand reclosing. Well, it probably helps that Scooby's using his back legs instead of his front legs to this time too. Yeah, yeah,
1: let's let's be honest. He he kind of he kind of is now doing it the right way.
0: R- 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 Off goes Scrappy with the chickens in tow, but the chase leads them all the way to the iconic Hollywood sign, and the sense of who is where is utterly chaotic, with the dogs and Shaggy in a back alley one second, then at the Hollywood Hills the next. Puppy Zoomies?
1: Yeah, just go with Puppy Zoomies on this one.
0: Uh, We'll have to. Scrappy plots to catapult to the Phantom atop the H. But somehow, when Scooby leaps on it, Scrappy doesn't budge and Scooby just launches himself. But hey, it works! Scrappy's just that heavy, man.
1: Scrappy's just iron-willed at this
2: point.
0: 100% muscle. (laughs)
1: 100% stubborn.
0: So the gang breaks down the clues... And Shaggy assumes it was Steve Shimmer, but the writing spotted earlier was an address for Mr. Walker. He was the Phantom, and wanted to stop the roller disco so it wouldn't take over the real estate of his house.
1: Because if they would expand, they would take over his house. Yeah.
0: Scooby and Scrappy skate to one last gag back at Sparkles, and, well, cue the credits. Zoinks. Yeah. Now, if I'm being truthful... This wasn't the greatest Scooby Media I've ever seen. There were some co- a few continuity errors and some irritating quirks, especially some of Scrappy's behavior in the first half of the episode. But still, there was a good monster design, a decent mystery per the terms of the standard formula, and a few okay gags. Given some time, this might have worked.
2: It also looked like it was animated worse than the original Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? But that might just be my opinion.
0: (laughs) There's a little of that, yeah. Unfortunately, Hanna-Barbera wouldn't get that time, because these changes would only begat still more changes the very next year. Oh boy. And we'll talk about those changes after the break. More Scooby-Doo after these messages! On the next Pemmy and James podcast, what the heck is a shmoo? This blubbery, rapidly reproducing thing began life in the comic strip Little Abner in an allegorical 1948 story on greed and human nature. It turned into a sensation that creator Al Cap never expected. 30 years later, Hanna-Barbera drops all of that and plops a singular shmoo into yet another derivative of the Scooby-Doo formula. We will witness this oddity, in two weeks now back to scooby-doo now would you believe that network executives found scrappy to be and i quote too independent what and that was the issue they wanted to fix not that he was frankly overbearing and needed depth boy what a harbinger of things to come in the pro social 80s.
1: Well, let me, let me put it to you this way. We are talking a bunch of old men running things.
0: Mark Evanier protested, but Hanna-Barbera relented as the character moved on into a new series which completely retooled the premise of the world around Scooby-Doo. You see, mm-hmm. Hanna-Barbera was drastically cutting costs around this time with the effects of being their own biggest competition finally catching up to them. And when Lenny Weinrib wanted more money to perform Scrappy, he was ousted and replaced by Don Messick. Ironic, since apparently Don gave the strongest performed audition for the character in the first place. But the creative team didn't think the voice was quite right.
2: There's a couple things here. I mean, one, unless you've got some tenure on the level of Dawes Butler or Don Messick, you don't ask Joe Barbera for a race. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I was about to say, like, dude... No, like you get a few, you get a few more years under your belt before you start asking for more money.
2: I don't know if this is true, but I remember one story, one version of the story had it to where Lenny Woodruff pretty much told Joe Barbera, it's "Like, give me a razor, I'm out," and Joe Barbera just called his bluff.
0: Lenny wasn't the only cut either. Fred, Daphne, and Velma were dropped from the series altogether as well. The cited reason was their lesser popularity compared to the dogs and Shaggy, leaving only Don Messick and Casey Kasem as the series regulars going forward.
1: See, as a child growing up, I really didn't enjoy, and, and I, I I still watched them because it was Scooby-Doo. I did not enjoy the Scooby-Doo episodes where they got rid of Fred, Daphne, and Velma because I felt that Fred, Daphne, and Velma balanced Scooby, Shaggy, and Scrappy. Like there yeah. was a balance there. It it just made for a better show when you had all of them, and not just focusing on you know the three knuckleheads.
2: Yeah. Well, that that's just generally yeah I agree. Scooby, uh, Scooby and Shaggy specifically work better when they have the more serious characters to bounce off of. Yeah. You
1: can't have you can't have a show that's just all funny men. You have to have the straight men. To balance the funny men, you can't. It just comedy doesn't work well that way.
0: So with only one meddling kid, the mystery format was retired for the time being, and Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo now had to share billing with Harvey Comics character Richie Rich. Oof. Furthermore, yeah. now their cartoons would be seven-minute short subjects centered around the not nearly as mysterious and sometimes not even all that spooky misadventures of Shaggy and the two Great Danes. So now, we have a Henry Hawk-derived character placed into the sort of context that the archetype was proven to actually work well in. But at the same time, it's a format that's untested waters for Scooby and Shaggy. And now they have to do it without, as Chrissy elaborated on, their more straight-laced friends to bounce off of. Or for that matter... A massive ensemble format like Laugh Olympics.
2: Yeah, it really, in my opinion, does not work for Shaggy and Scooby. And also, it ends up being kind of mean-spirited to Scooby in these. Because a lot of just bad stuff happens to Scooby for no reason.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is if you just had it be Scooby and Scrappy in these, it might have worked better. But you have it with Shaggy and Scooby and scrappy it's a power imbalance there that really for some reason as a kid I was kind of bored by it or I just didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed watching other cartoons and that's just and that's just was my take as a child and everyone it's and is and it's easy to blame it on one character in the mix and it was easy to blame it on Scrappy because it was like, well, Scrappy came in, they got rid of these other characters because that's just what the, here, you introduced. Here's, here's this new thing. And it caused everything to change, you know, being older, you get perspective. I just didn't like this new format. It didn't work with these characters. Henry Hawk worked well against Foghorn Lakehorn because Foghorn Lakehorn was such a strong blustering character that balanced but now you hear you have two strong knuckleheads against one somewhat strong serious tough guy.
2: Uh, a lot of times they try to put the straight man role on Shaggy
0: and it really doesn't
2: work.
1: Shaggy's not a straight man. Not in any way, shape, or
0: form. Okay. A typical example is our next subject, it too Scooby, from the first season of this new format. Shaggy is now the one doing the driving, so you already know things are different
2: good thing i got my license scoob
1: honestly i think the mystery machine should have looked a little bit more banged up at that point
0: the trio are in the italian countryside and of course the ever-hungry hippie and his hound hanker for hot take cuisine yeah i'm kind of proud of that alliteration (laughs) you should
1: you should be that was good and look a pizza stand all right i have this is my wait just a minute as an italian that's not a thing in italy
0: it's also a very small pizza stand. Okay, I believe that. With nothing else please. around it. Does he just rely on folks on the road?
2: It's also deliberately got pictures of American-styled pizza in the background. So I'm just going to chalk this up to ignorance.
0: Yes, please. And we're going to have more of that in a moment.
2: she <laughs> didn't have the internet to look stuff up back in
0: 1980. So I My- pull up, and the inattentive pizza chef put Scooby into the recipe. Ooh. Scooby cries for help while Scrappy thinks his uncle has all the fun.
1: I will say I know many people who would actually like this much of an intense massage, though.
0: It only took one season, but Scrappy went from not knowing his own lack of strength to being a full-on masochist. They grow up so fast.
2: Like, if you like, if you it looks so fun, Scrappy. Why don't we throw you in the oven?
0: This is a level of cartoon slapstick not usually seen in prior Scooby cartoons. But Scooby's been fairly malleable before, so it's not too out of the norm yet.
1: Yeah, this one, when he did it, I, when they showed them him being turned into a pizza, I'm like, eh, this it's not pushing it just yet, but you're kind of getting there.
2: I, I do have to say this. If the chef actually cooked Scooby, would that make him a Danish? Yes. Well, he'd be a hot dog.
1: <laughs> as long as he's not in a trench coat.
0: Scrappy does come through with a pizza after Scooby Pie is discarded back into the mystery machine.
1: <laughs> now I want to create a recipe called Scooby Pie. Because <laughs> it really sounds like a good name.
0: Scrappy's pizza has everything, including pepperoni, which caught my ear you see when my folks were in italy pepperoni wasn't on the menu any place they could get pizza it was spicy salami instead which is their name for it of course no american writer is going to know this let alone an american kid watching it especially in 1980 yeah there's also anchovies onions chocolate sauce and garlic but Scoob and Shaggy draw the line at the whipped cream. You gotta put your line somewhere, people. I I find that hard to
2: believe that they would be against whipped cream, but... Oh well. Have to have a gag, I guess.
0: Pretty much. They pull into Rome, and... They're the only people there, even as they pull up to the Colosseum. Now... Given what we said about the reduced budgets all around Hanna-Barbera at the time, they probably couldn't afford to draw in the locals, let alone the hundreds and hundreds of tourists this globally famous historical landmark draws in.
1: I'm going to call shenanigans on that, considering we have seen in other cheaply made cartoons, <laughs> commission, um, that they have drawn still figures in the background before there. that don't even move.
0: And we get that when the trio walk in, and with absolutely no indication of a time change or transition to another time period, they're in ancient Rome surrounded by cheering Romans. Complete yeah. with Nero. <laughs>
1: we're going to call him Nero because it could be any. There were many sadistic, masochistic,
0: overweight. Mm-hmm.
1: Overweight, nasty, weird dictators back then. Surprisingly enough, when they actually look at Nero and some of the in some of the descriptions of Nero, he was not overweight though. He was actually a very slim figure. He was considered well, to be very athletic.
2: I, I chose Nero because it was a very Nero decision.
1: Caligula actually would have been good.
0: You see, Scrappy wonders where the lions are, and that's the exact moment Nero commands the lions be present. The reactions are what you would expect from the trio. And we should also mention just how Scooby is running here. Pemmy, I know this is one of your pet peeves with this era of the franchise, so let him have it. Go, hate, I hate it.
2: I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, one of the major problems I have with this part of the series is Scooby goes from being like, you know, funny animal talking dog to just plain out Looney Tunes level cartoon character. And yeah, he. For, for the Scooby, Scrappy, and Shaggy do stupid stuff episodes, that's what I like to call them. Yeah, Scooby runs on his hind legs. Scooby's far more cartoony, which we'll get to that later. But yeah, one of the main things is he he walks on his hind legs and it just it looks wrong and I hate it. It just, it doesn't. It doesn't look right. I mean, because his, his legs are still like hunched, like a dog. So how the heck would you know? Uh, I don't like you, it. I don't like it at all.
1: Oh my god, you just—you're you, right. It doesn't look right. That might be the other reason why I hated this era of the cartoons, where it's like this doesn't work for what is already established for these characters.
2: But I mean, it's for the these particular cartoons. He doesn't walk on four legs like almost never anymore. It's almost always on his hind legs. And it's just—it's just weird. Well,
1: it's it. because it's because Scrappy does.
2: It's, they at least drew Scrappy with stubby, like kind of
0: human-looking legs in comparison, though. It's also, true. I think animating four legs may have been another budgetary concern.
1: But you're you're right. It's it's it just looks wrong.
0: I was
2: just gonna say it's funny that when they add Daphne back to this cast in the next series, like suddenly Scooby can walk on four legs again. <laughs>
0: Eventually, the lion runs past them, disguised as barbers, complete with a barbershop chair and everything. You know, this is our third Scooby podcast, and I think this is only the first truly elaborate disguise gag we've seen.
2: It is the the most common shaggy Scooby routine.
0: With a lame accent and a sundial to show the lion he's late... Shaggy pulls the lion in for a hairstyling, leaving him a greater dandy lion than Bert Lahr ever was in The Wizard of Oz. In his whole career, even. He was once the king of the forest.
1: Not queen, not duke, not prince, or the artist formerly
0: known as prince. Nero commands the lion exit, stage vertically via trapdoor. <clears throat> Sorry, I had a little snag in my throat. <laughs>
1: That would also be awesome. Like, that would also be really great if mine actually exited, like Snagglepuss. I mean, are you already? You already went for you already went for the Looney Tunes crap. Bring in Snagglepuss as well. That would have been a great homage to Hanna Barbera.
0: And now Shaggy and the Great Danes are faced with a massive gladiator named Rocky Maximus. Somewhere, a very young Dwayne Johnson was taking notes and thinking, almost, but not quite. Also voiced by John Stevenson.
1: Can you smell what he's cooking?
0: He tries to stomp Scrappy, but just gets his foot stuck in the dirt. The trio race through a doorway, and Scooby goes through the portcullis right after it closes. It's at this point, it's even more obvious that we've crossed into Looney Tunes' territory, because the end result is Scooby being split down his sides, like how you'd imagine Daffy or Sylvester would be, after such an inadvertent feat.
1: Uh, excuse me, Hanna-Barbera, a termite terrace called, they want their gag back.
2: I, I also think this gag just looks kind of just really awkward in this art style, because while I wouldn't call Scooby a realistic art style, it feels more realistic than, say, a Looney Tunes character. So it just looks...
1: It goes against what <laughs> this character is already established to be in the Scooby-Doo Where Are You cartoons. Like, it just... Goes against what these the world that this character is established in.
2: It's very off putting, in my opinion.
1: It is,
2: and the fact that it's treated like it, and it just made even more by the fact that it's like no big deal. It's like, like how'd you do that, Scoop? I don't know. And then it's like he splits into three and laughs about it. And I know it puts himself p- back together, pal.
1: I know it's just like it's to them. It's like oh, it's no big deal, dude. You just broke your own physics, like. How is your world not destroyed at this point?
2: And this actually happens a lot to Scooby in these episodes. It's like he gets shattered into pieces in one episode, squashed, like, by a strongman that he ticked off by accident. And a lot of bad things happen to Scooby, but it's treated very cartoonishly, and it just feels not right.
1: Yeah, I mean, if it's Laugh Olympics, it's one thing, because that's different worlds together. But this is supposed to still take place in the world of scooby-doo where these are not the physics of that world
0: so the gates no match for rocky as the chase resumes through the coliseum and now we get another disguise bit with the heroes as hot dog salesmen and scooby eating the merchandise
2: correction hottest doggess. uh salesman
0: yeah rocky falls for it and gets a hottest doggess. But Scrappy decides to put a little mustard on that delivery, and some ketchup too.
1: Well, you know he's got to catch up to the plot.
0: Uh, I just, I just noticed they actually spelled
2: the ketchup on Scrappy's bottle as "cat sup," the the less traditional spelling.
1: Mm, cat syrup. That's what my dad called it.
0: Diving into the cart to hide, the trio escape via a side hatch, and Scooby goes for kickoff. Namely, he kicks the gladiator into Nero's private box.
1: Scooby's got a hell of a kick.
0: All that running. (laughs)
2: yeah. Though one could argue that Scooby's asking for trouble at this point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Trying to escape via chariot, Rocky rejoins the fray with his own, and each collision leaves our heroes with less chariot to ride with. But Scrappy, for a change, has a good idea, and brings the lion back into the mix to take care of Rocky Maximus.
2: I I also want to say that... that Scene with the chariots is so bad and cheaply done because, like, almost every time all, you you don't see Maximus's like full chariot most of the time. You just see part of it, and then like Scooby and Shaggy's like reduced chariot. It's so so cheaply and badly. It's bad.
1: Well, the <laughs> thing just... is, is with the whole chariot thing, they were trying to do a quick version of Ben Hur, and it's like which everyone tries to do when they do it when they do a chariot thing in the Colosseum. It's like. Stop it.
0: It's just... It's just the gag is badly done. And it's just... The Lion launches Rocky back to Nero, and our heroes run back from whence they came. But but Scrappy wants more, and opens the door to find the Colosseum empty. Back in the Mystery Machine, they effectively write the whole thing off as an indigestion nightmare. Except they were awake.
1: Yeah, they say they're going to hold the pepperoni next time, which I think is actually kind of funny considering like we said before. Pepperoni's not a thing in Italy. Yeah, they call yeah, it no. spicy salami. It's a spicy salami.
2: You know, all all these people make jokes about Shaggy and Scooby being like on drugs, but I think episodes like this kind of <laughs> prove kind of make it like seem like they might be right.
1: I I I have I absolutely when they bring out the Scrappy, the the, the uh, Scooby and Scrappy show, they're like, "This is proof." I'm like, "I can't fight you. I genuinely can't fight you on the on the on the drug theory at I this mean, point."
0: They just had a mass hallucination. <laughs> now things would get sillier as this format went on. I recall an instance of the trio asking a giant or some other massive threat of the episode, "What's black and white and red all over?" A vanilla hot fudge sundae with ketchup.
1: I'm still offended by this joke. (laughs) How dare you bring ice cream into this.
2: There's an episode where Scrappy pulls out Excalibur and technically becomes the king of all England.
1: You know, he might actually do a better job than the current king. (laughs) He actually might do a better job than most politicians. And that is the end of my political comment for today.
0: just to drive the point home that we've been making through our entire discussion of It Too Scooby, Scrappy is indeed less of an annoyance in this format, but this is such a drastic turn for the franchise overall. He's a liability. (laughs) Without the spooky atmospheres and mysteries, this feels like cartoon business as usual, with very little of what made Scooby special in the field.
2: Yeah, the colors are brighter. It's just Scooby's lost all of his aesthetic.
1: Well, and the other thing is, too, is throughout this whole cartoon, you could take Scrappy right out of it. He he contributes nothing
2: to this cartoon. Well, the thing is, with the way this cartoon's written, you could take all the characters out and just replace them with other characters, and it wouldn't be really any different.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could put in Snagglepuss in here. You could put in any Hanna-Barbera carto- char- character.
0: You could it, put you us could... in there. Zoinks!
1: So, Zoinks! So, <laughs> Bro, the new Hanna- face of Hanna-Barbera. This would be interesting. Be like, excuse me, I have a question about the historical inaccuracy here. I have problems. <laughs> I have questions.
2: <laughs> Can I at least say that there is one positive thing I have to say about this? Yeah. I actually like Don Messick's scrappy voice better than Lenny Wedroves, personally. I kind
1: of agree with that. To be but fair, I also, yeah. like anything Don Ma- I also like anything Don Messick did. Does, did. I,
2: I am a big fan of Don Messick, but I I think, I, I personally, I think scrappy just sounds more like a child or a puppy with the voice Don Messick gives him. <laughs> Lenny Woodruff's voice makes him sound less like a child and more like an angry, small man.
0: <laughs> That's fair. So Taz, and not the Tasmanian devil, but the yes. wrestler Taz. Yes. Yes. Uh,
2: but yeah, I, I think Don Messick, the Don Messick scrappy voice definitely makes scrappy sound cuter. I'll say that overall.
1: Yeah, so, I agree with that.
0: After a couple seasons of this mess, once Richie Rich moved on to share time with such properties as the Little Rascals, Pac-Man, and the Monchichis, Scooby-Doo was paired up with The Puppy in 1982. Yes, that's the franchise name, The Puppy.
2: You know, I just realized something. Richie Rich has all that money, and yet he couldn't afford his own show.
0: So this puppy's name is actually Petey. And he and his friends were the subject of some one-shot specials by Ruby Spears starting in 1978. Which I think is based on a book series, if I remember right. 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 The puppy that wanted a boy. Yeah. And as fate would have it, Ruby Spears would take over production of the Scooby-Doo episodes that year. Yes, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, the creators of Scooby-Doo alongside Iwao Takamoto, were reunited with their creations... And suddenly they bore very little resemblance to what they made in the first place. Now writing and storyboarding still took place at Hanna Barbera, but Ruby Spears did the rest.
1: Oh dear.
0: As if this couldn't get any crazier, that same season, another new feature was added.
1: I, I have to state this real quickly. When any says it couldn't get as if it couldn't get any crazier, the universe turns around and says, Hold my beer.
0: <laughs> You see, Scrappy, not content to merely have adventures with one uncle, headed west to have them with Uncle Yabadoo and Yabba's own sidekick, Dusty Deputy. How far are we getting from the plot here, folks?
1: Do you really want the universe to answer that question?
2: Wait, if Dusty's a deputy, does that mean Yabba's the sheriff?
1: I was trying to figure that out, because they keep saying sheriff's office, and they're and it's like, well, Dusty. De- Dusty Deputy or Deputy Dusty. I don't know. Last name Deputy? Does, so, if his last name is Deputy, does that mean he's Deputy purely off of his name? Which that's total nepotism right there.
2: Also, who at Hanna Barbera thought it was a good idea to name Scooby's
0: brother after uh, Fred Flintstone's catchphrase? Yeah, but Dabba too. <laughs> Adding to the irony, Dusty Deputy was being voiced by Frank Welker. Of
1: course. Seriously, how is this man not? He needs to own. He needed to own Hannah. Hannah Barbera owes their life to Frank Welker, okay?
2: And Don Messick and Don Butler.
1: Yeah. Yeah, at that point, you know, I'm sorry. You owe your lives to these people. All of Cartoondom owes their lives to these three men and Jana Waldo.
0: (laughs) For the sake of completeness, our bosses at Mighty Monkey Productions are compelling us to look at one of these. here, under protest is Yabba's Russell Hustle. We know
1: who you are and we will get our revenge.
0: Written by Bob Ogle. So our story takes place in the town of Tumbleweed, population 601 and a half. Wait what?
1: Yeah do you don't, do, uh, don't want you do not know want to know what the half is.
2: A guy had a bad accident. Let's just leave it at that.
1: Yeah, don't ask about the half.
0: Yabba is teaching Scrappy how to handle a lasso, and winds up roping a mixer in the kitchen, nearly knocking over Dusty as he's about to bring out some chili snacks. Not to be confused with Scooby Snacks. Yippity-yappity-doo, our new dog exclaims, because, well, take a guess. I, I got two
2: things to say here. One is... Yabba seemingly likes those chili snacks so much that the, uh, his head actually separates from his body in his uh, preparing the run scene. And it's it He literally loses his head over it, or at least almost. And uh yeah, yippity yappity do doesn't really work, but that could be because my brain keeps trying to think he should be saying y- yabba dabba doo. <laughs>
1: I am just confused enough on the Scooby-Doo family tree. I'm actually looking up the family tree. I'm trying to see where Yabba, Yabba, whatever his name is, like, trying to pull up how many actual family members Scooby has.
2: He has a sister, obviously.
1: Well, Ruby-Doo. Ruby-Doo. Yeah,
2: Yeah, Ruby-Doo. Who is uh, Scrappy's mom.
0: (laughs) Anyhow, Yabba loves these chili snacks, but based on how they make him bounce like a hop toad up from the heat, they don't seem to love him back.
2: I I also think it's funny that instead of making his face red from the chili, his face turns pink.
1: Well, you know, different levels of red is the different Caspian levels in the
0: chili, I guess. A call comes in. It turns out there's cattle rustling at the McKay Ranch. And Yap and Scrappy are about to spring into action. Dusty protests that he's the deputy and he'll say when they go. So he says they'll go. So far, this cartoon presents no new ideas.
2: Also, I guess this also proves that uh, Yabba is not the sheriff, now that I think about it. Though I wonder who is the sheriff.
1: Yeah, I think it might be Dusty's dad.
2: See, I also want to say that I think, uh, And sorry, sorry Kyle, but I... I uh, Dusty's design looks like my friend Kylepedia. <laughs> Fortunately, Kylepedia does not sound like Dusty, though, so
0: that's good for him.
1: <laughs> I was about to say, I really hope he doesn't sound like
0: him. You, You've heard Kyle on our Spider-Man episode. I did, actually. So, Yabba has a plan. Dusty says he'll make the plans. And he just takes Yabba's idea of the old disguise bit. Don and Frank must have been so bored doing these...
1: I think this was just an easy... They were like, we're just going to make an easy one. We're just going to recycle the dialogue.
0: Also, that's the dumbest looking
2: motorcycle I've ever seen. And we've seen some dumb ones. I've seen Wonder Wheels.
0: You win. Back at the ranch, at least if they're going to use old cliches, so can I. (laughs) (laughs) That evening, the law enforcement duo are disguised as a cow and Scrappy as a cactus. And as Dusty is complaining about getting tail from Yabba. Uh, wait, wait, no, that's wrong. Sorry. He complains about Yabba's tail in his face. Uh, sorry, sorry. That's oh, I mean, what she said. Anyhow, a love struck bull spots the disguised pair. Neither of their protests stop the smooches, and they back up into cactus scrap and land right in the bull's arms. Yeah. Dusty like
1: wasn't that. the only one getting tail that night.
2: I, I I like Texas Scrap. That's that's a that's a good line. That's that's a that could be a literal cowboy name.
0: Ooh, I like that. Just as I'm about to complain that this has nothing to do with the rustlers, they show up in a helicopter, and basically winch the false bovine, with the bull trying to keep her on the ground. We're being rustled and wrestled Is the first actually decent line in this cartoon? I I have a qu-
2: question. I've got questions on how dusty. And Yaba are staying together, and Dusty's not just falling all out from the winch,
0: but
1: I that man. was my question too, actually. So thank you for being in my head. Oh my! I know, scary, isn't it?
0: Scrappy pursues as the helicopter reaches a mud pit, and the boss rustler, who complains that his underling was only supposed to get the hefty-looking steers, in which case. This underling was doubly wrong because not only is the captured cattle costumed cops scrawny looking, but steers are males who have been castrated. And the disguise is clearly feminine in presentation.
2: And from the looks of it, I don't think that steer that was hitting on them was uh, castrated. castrated. (laughs) But uh, uh, (laughs) other than that, in the guy's defense, he's in a helicopter. I mean, you can't see him that well from up there.
0: Fair. Dropped into the mud, the disguise comes off, and Scrappy arrives to activate catchphrase power. Yabba rushes in to get the work done himself, and Dusty can't see anything thanks to his muddied glasses. Contacts, dude. Contacts. Scrappy lands no punches, his disguise having also blinded him to his lack of boxing reach. Not like that ever stopped him before. I have a question. Does
1: he ever land any of his punches?
0: Not punches, no, but he has done
2: feats of strength. There's uh, one Scooby, Scrappy, and Shaggy short where they have to fight this monster that came out of the volcano. And Shaggy literally goes, like, I wish you'd go back to the volcano that he came from. And Scrappy's like, well, why did you say that? And Scrappy literally picks up the monster and throws him back into the volcano, meaning that Scrappy literally killed someone. Just throwing that out there.
0: Also, let's not forget, this was the era where even Superman couldn't land a punch.
2: Fair. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why Super Friends get so ridiculous and
0: silly. Also, Yabba's even less effective as mud residue causes him to slip, slip and slide right past (laughs) the boss, taking Scrappy with him.
1: No. Well, they're good at taking out, you know... Someone, just not the bad guys.
0: The Rustler now corners a cowering Dusty, who retreats and runs right into the Rustler on the other side of his escape route. Damn those teleporters. Now Yabba tries some fancy rope work and only ropes himself and Scrappy, landing on Dusty and getting him caught too. Scrappy, bless the little guy is still impressed.
1: I'm sorry, but I'm impressed too, because that does take some skill to get yourself tied up and then somehow get your deputy mixed into the already tied up rope. That's impressive, okay? I have to give him kudos for that.
2: I, I'm also just amused that no matter what's going on, Yabba just seems to be happy about it. No matter how bad it is for him, he's just kind of just happy to be there.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm also going to, so we all talk about how Scooby and Shaggy are on drugs. Let's talk about Yabba. I think he's been on some issue too.
0: <laughs> Locked up in a shed, Dusty asks if Yabba has any more bright ideas. So as the rustlers are corralling the bull from earlier, Yabba returns to the old disguise bit. This brings the bull to them for a smooch, and then Yabba goes for a chili snack and feeds it to the bull. He's not dumb. That was actually pretty smart. The bull bucks, kicking the shed apart, and it reassembles around the rustlers.
1: Um, can we get that bull to help over at Ann's place to put some stuff together? Because damn, that's good.
0: With the job done, Dusty tries to take credit for the disguise bit, but the bull still wants more lovin'. You can guess how this ends.
1: Well, considering what the bull said after he, you know, reassembles it around, he goes, damn, that was a good kiss.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, he wants some more loving after that.
2: <laughs> and we never see Dusty again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Poor Dusty.
0: Let's not beat around the bush. Yabba Doo is basically the misbegotten bastard love child of Scooby Doo and Quickdraw McGraw. Yeah. Yeah. I mean- Even like Don
2: Messick's voice for Yabba sounds like a bootleg quick draw McGraw.
0: I don't know
1: what the point, I don't know what the point was of Yabba and Dusty. I don't know if they were looking to do a spinoff. I don't know if they were just, they were one shots.
2: Just desperate for ideas.
1: If they were just trying to give Scooby a break.
0: There's nothing in these cartoons that neither of the quote parents unquote haven't already done, frequently done, and done better. Mm -hmm. we wasted seven minutes of our time so you dear listener don't have to
1: you're welcome
2: yeah there's a point there's a reason why i kind of sidestepped these particular cartoons when i did my uh, cartoon catastrophe episode on
0: the scooby-doo and scrappy-doo show now granted this is still better than lassie's rescue rangers but a trip from portland oregon to miami florida via snail pulled wagon would be better than that
1: yeah, I think Lassie's Rescue Ranger has already set the bar for bad in, in this group.
0: Have we really not watched anything that's worse than that yet?
1: No. It's not that it's not out there. We just haven't watched it yet.
0: Okay. In nineteen eighty three, cooler heads started to prevail for the new Scooby and Scrappy Doo show, with Yabba and Dusty getting the boot, and not a cowboy one either.
1: Although that would have been although that would have been both ironic and poetic
0: justice. The mystery format was revived in full. Daphne Blake was brought back to the cast to rebalance the scales of comedy. Episodes went from three stories to two. Anything past that is, uh, truthfully, another story for another day altogether. This isn't even the last hill this roller coaster of a franchise would have to climb before briefly leaving Saturday morning, but Lord knows we've gone on long enough, especially since we need to discuss one other thing. And that's Scrappy's legacy. Oh, Oh, yeah. You see, while younger kids adored the pup, I I know I did at that age. I even got a plush of him at Canada's Wonderland as a kid. Older fans couldn't stand him or what he was seemingly responsible for doing to the show they grew up with. This happens a lot in long-running media. Ask people who grew up with Sesame Street in the 70s and 80s what they think of Elmo, and you'll get a lot of answers and not all of them positive. Nope. But as we demonstrated in this episode, Scrappy was the harbinger of what drove the Scooby series into directions that were so far removed from the franchise's strengths, it became virtually unrecognizable. And as the most prominent face of those changes, Scrappy bore the blunt Scrappy bore the brunt of the blame. Not the faceless executives who pushed for the change, not the producers and writers who provided the changes, just the end result of the change itself. Well, and that's the thing it
1: it's what we saw. He was like, he came in and the changes happened. That's what people saw as he was the face of it. And I can't even blame the writers because you have to do what your bosses tell you to. And so I could say like, I refuse. You lose your job and you lose your paycheck.
0: Yeah. It's okay. like John Tentis said about becoming the shark. If he didn't say yes, there were a hundred other pro wrestlers who would have.
2: Exactly. James. Yeah. I'm going to have to ask that you might keep your, uh, you might ask, you might want to keep your flub up in there. Cause you, instead of saying brunt, you almost said blunt. And I think that fits for Scooby-Doo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's true. but um, Go ahead.
0: Dooby-Doo yeah. in this case. <laughs> Dooby-Doo. Yes. But, uh, yeah, the the Scrappy's
2: not the problem. The problem is, and I hate saying this because Scooby Doo is like one of my favorite series. Is this show was just tired. Well,
1: the, it was a victim of its own success. I mean, it was so successful, people want we want a Scooby Doo like show. So they made so many copies of it out of Hanna Barbera. Yeah, that it was just there were so many. You know, yes, mimicry is the highest form of flattery, but it got tired and. Could Scrappy have been a a shot in the arm for the show? Completely. It could have been. He could have been. But when they decided to change the format and what made Scooby-Doo what Scooby-Doo was, they didn't do it gradually. It was a drastic change from the mystery format to straight-up Looney Tunes for characters that were not meant to be Looney Tunes. It didn't work.
2: Yeah, and I'll be honest, the, these episodes that are Shaggy, Scooby, and Scrappy do stupid stuff. It's just the best way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. It's probably my least favorite part of the entire franchise. The only series I can think of that I might like less is Shaggy and Scooby Get a Clue. But that would require me to re-watch Shaggy and Scooby to get a, cl- get a clue to do a comparison.
0: And I really don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're putting off that one even longer.
1: Yeah. I feel like I feel bad because in a sense, Scrappy's become a scapegoat. He's a fun scapegoat. Don't get me wrong. It's kind of fun to pick on Scrappy. I think it's partially deserved because like you said, when the first season with Scrappy was done, they were instead of sitting there and correcting him being overbearing, they were like, oh, he's too independent. We need to make him This It's like, no, he was fine, you just made him more, take away some of that overbearingness and let other characters shine a little bit.
0: It's gotten to the point where TV Tropes' header for characters who have not fandoms, but hate is the Scrappy. Scrappy Scrappy-Doo would be the villain of the first live-action Scooby-Doo movie, and the butt of several jokes in subsequent Scooby-Media And in ad spots on Cartoon Network, one such prominent joke in the Mysteries Incorporated series, according to writer Casper Kelly, was in fact a corporate mandate.
1: The thing is, is you gotta make fun of it. I mean, if you when Scooby Doo started coming back, especially nowadays, you have to acknowledge what is on the internet. Because if you just pretend it didn't exist, come on, you're being stupid. Because someone's gonna bring it up. I think. in the cartoonum, I think Scrappy's the original snark. He's the first thing we all started snarking on. Once Snark became a big thing on the internet. We snark on him.
2: I think the biggest insult to Scrappy is the fact that they made a move they made a straight to video movie to finish off the thirteen ghosts of Scooby Doo and Scrappy's not in it. They brought back Flim Flam, but they didn't bring back Scrappy. And and the only mention of him at all is is Flim saying Flimflam makes a comment it's like it's like everybody's together? Oh, we need a Scrappy, and Velma goes, "What's a Scrappy?" And that that's it.
1: Yeah, I would rather have you know Scrappy back than Flim Flam.
2: Yeah, I, I that was that was like the point where I kind of like went from oh yeah, let's dog on Scrappy to like you know what I think dogging on Scrappy's tired now, and I'm actually starting to feel bad about it.
1: Yeah, there, there's a point where you can stop.
0: In 2023, jokes at the character's expense feel like beating a dead horse. Mm-hmm. And Pemi and I agreed on this before recording. And based on what I'm hearing from you, Chrissy, I think you're with us on this. We're just calling for something, anything new to be done with this character if they insist on reminding us of him. Either redeem him or drop him. Just stop picking this proverbial scab. The thing he said, I mean, we pick on him so
1: much. You know why people pick on him is because a lot, I think there's two reasons. One, you pick on something because there's so much good, there's so much potential there and I'm really pissed Hanna-Barbera wasted it as an adult now and someone who does right. I see a lot of potential for Scrappy-Doo that would be amazing to do with him. He's a strong, he's a tough character, he's got a lot of bravery, a hell of a lot of heart. I think one of my favorite episodes with Scrappy-Doo is when he goes back to his neighborhood and he runs into his, his friends. Like, you see him having friends that were not Scooby or Shaggy. Like, he had puppy friends. Like that was cool that he had actually, he ran into friends that knew him before he joined the mystery gang. And it was cool to see that there was a, that Scrappy had a life before he joined the mystery gang, which was cool to see that he had something, that there was more to him than this character. And there's so much potential. And I think the other reason why people pick on him too also is it just became something that they just saw like no one actually really knew the character or seen things the character was in it's just hey it's a cool thing to do this character has potential i think he can be brought back and have some really cool things done with him with the right writers as they're trying to reinvent scooby-doo i don't think now's the time to bring scrappy back yet i think they need to figure out what they want to do with scooby-doo first
2: Hemi, your final thoughts? Uh, I think if there was any show that they probably could have brought Scrappy back correctly and made it work would have been uh, Be Cool Scooby-Doo or maybe even Scooby-Doo and Guess Who? But that's passed on both of those. So, yeah, definitely not happening in that other show that will remain nameless because I don't want to talk about it. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) he who shall not be named.
2: (laughs) Because I mean, even Scooby's not in that show. So it's as far as I'm concerned, it's not a Scooby-Doo show.
0: Yeah. And we'll leave it at that. Especially now since it's officially time to go restock the breakfast cereal.
1: To the breakfast cereal. Puppy Power
0: Thanks for tuning in everybody. We love we appreciate every listen and hey, if you're so inclined, leave us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if this is the YouTube
2: version, please like and
0: subscribe. Yeah, it helps with and that all, hit that all that notification already. bell. Trust us, all these things really make a difference. Mm-hmm.
1: Thanks, guys.
0: Good night, everyone.
2: See ya. Bye.
0: The, Penny and a funny podcast. the preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Sean Michael Smith.